Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. The Harvard doctor has found the probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn and Chris Shamides. Today, Over the Ball coming to you from Scotland on one end of the the, uh, the turf here, and on the other side of the pitch, we have Chris Shamides in Los Angeles as he continues to go through preseason with his more, uh, Loyola Marymount team. So, Chris, uh, again, uh, very frustrating over here. Uh, apparently, I, I cannot see any soccer, any football. The Premier League, I heard it was absolutely fantastic uh, this week, and I couldn't see any of it. So, Anyway, um, you know, our good friend, uh, Mike Noonan, head coach yeah. of the Clemson Tigers, who are ranked number one right now, uh, preseason poll. I want to get back to that and ask you about preseason polls later. Um, but his brother, Mike Noonan, former All-American at Duke and an MLS executive for some years, uh, he emailed me and said, hey, Pliny, just listen to the show. Uh, quit complaining about not being able to, to see the games. Get your own VPN uh, address. And he goes, that'll get around it because I have all this all these American, you know, Peacock and uh, um, Paramount Plus and everything to see my games and I'm seeing nothing here. So, uh, and I also reached out to um, to Craig Burley from ESPN. Uh, I did an impression, a Scottish impression. I said, you know, I'm like, hey, Craig, Craig, how's this weird impression? And he just wrote back, he goes, it's a really shitty impression. It's a really shitty Irish impression. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm way off, I'm, I'm way off, but uh I had a good show today, and I got to tell you this, Chris. It's um, I'm up on stage, and I have a pretty good crowd. And there's one guy in like the third row, looking at his phone, and not only uh, on his, but he's he's like texting, and I'm kind of uh, like, you know, as, as a comic, I would be able to say, "Yo, dude," I'd out him, and I'd yeah, you no, know, I'd, I'd nail him, give him a chance to get off the phone, and then if he didn't, I would just you know, kind of nail him, stop the whole thing. So uh, I just decide because I'm doing a play, you know, you're going from A to Z that I, I'll, I will not acknowledge it. Show must go on. Show must go on. And so I do the show and he comes up to me after he's like, that was great. I loved it. I'm reviewing it. He was reviewing it. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you were on your phone. He goes, no. He goes, I was taking notes about the, the show. And I'm like, thank you. God, oh, I didn't shit on him. Wow. How bad would that would have been? Wow. Yeah. But are you seeing the light of his phone at that time? Like, is it distracting to you? No, I that's that's one of the things that sort of threw me a little bit, you know, because you're in your head when you're up there, you're going, you know, you're going through it. And I, I didn't see the light. I just saw him looking down and yeah, yeah. And, and touching keys. I, at least I that's just keys. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's distracting. Very. And then I just, I just, after the first few minutes, I just I said, forget it. Just, just power through, just ignore him. I mean, did, yeah. So. I mean, so, that's got to be hard to concentrate. I mean, you know, you talk, you create the list. There's Daniel Day Lewis. There's Kevin Flynn. Like your ability to stay on the task is very impressive. Now, I I wouldn't put Daniel Day ahead of me. Really, I was. I would. <laughs> well, um, so how's anyway, the show going? How's the feedback? It's great. Well, I've got 
three reviewers have come through yet and um, none have come out in the paper yet. So they're supposed to come out this week. So I'm waiting for bated breath. I think the production team just won't say anything if it's a shitty review. Yeah. You just don't tell, you don't tell the, the, uh, the person performing and just, because uh, otherwise you will get in your head. You know, like, oh, all the effort I did, right, this, right, and and it didn't work. But the, the you know the audiences seem to really enjoy it. I mean, nice. a lot. So nice. I'm very ha I'm happy with that. And got a call from um, BBC Scotland, uh, uh, a radio show called Off the Ball. Uh, I thought they were going to call us for a trademark infringement, but they were. Yes. Uh, they they want to have me. On. I'm going to be on the show this Saturday, so be live in Scotland. It's a, it's a, a big radio show here. I guess uh, they want to talk footy. Did they say, yeah, exactly what, what the angle is going to be? Like, well, how are they going to talk to you? Well, they, they somehow got my CV. I think, a, a, you know, a PR person puts out stuff. And I think, you know, one of the things with that really intrigued them was that I played with Pelé. I played with Carlos Alberto, with Beckenbauer, you know, Naiskins, you know, because I was working at Cosmos soccer camp. And, yeah. if, and the, you know, the college kids who were the counselors would all scrimmage and then they'd pull a couple of the college players off it was only really three of us that they would pull off each time to play in the scrimmage in the inter squad scrimmage with the cosmos. So, I mean, dude, I was just, it's like, play the way you're facing, play yeah. it simple, right. you know? And I did, I, you know, someone had told me that and said, don't try to impress, just try to play the ball the way you're facing, play it simply. And the thing that I was always amazed at was how many people showed in, in the passing angles, you know, they were there. It's kind of almost, I started to feel like, um, the pass is there. You have to just decide which pass is the best one um, in that particular situation. Because, you know, one thing that frustrated me with in college was guys, you're lazy. They'll knock the ball and then they'll kind of like, oh, the ball's off my foot. I'm, I'm cool. Well, no, man. These guys knock and sprint. They knock and sprint. Yeah, yeah. They, they can do both. They can cover lots of ground, but they also know how to play in tight spaces and just appear and create options for themselves. And, you know, that's what good players do. So. Awesome. So you get to go on the show and, and chat about some of this. And talk about all that, you know, and um, one of the things I had remembered, Naiskins had said something to me about showing for a ball where he says, well, I know where I'm going with the ball before I receive the ball. He goes, because I've looked around me uh, before I'm heading to it. And then I continue to look around. And you always, I used to see Frank Lampard do that. He kept looking back, looking back, looking back, looking back. Cause he knows, Oh, there's a guy he's open. He's making a run, you know? So when you're processing it all in your computer, so when you show for the ball, most guys, I think, at a certain level, show for the ball and they settle and then look for a pass. Uh, and you know what? At that level, it's it's shut down by. Yeah, them. you got so to take pictures. Yeah, you got to yeah. take pictures constantly to know what's around you, of course. So, so I think these guys want to talk about, like, how the hell did a, a college soccer player wound up playing with all these yeah. people? And I think what they're more even more intrigued about is, like, you know, you'd go to the local bar with these guys after they showered up. Not a single person knew they were. Right. They're just sitting there in anonymity and they absolutely loved it, you know, unless yeah. it was a, unless it was a cute girl, then they would drop their credentials pretty quick. Hey, <laughs> I won a world cup, uh, you know? So, so you've gone from LA all the way out to there and, and you, you feel like you're seeing less soccer. I'm seeing less soccer. Yeah. Which is a bummer because the premier league was awesome this last week. I heard it was phenomenal. Cause I tell you what, I, I watch BBC Scotland here and, and the English BBC and they cut, you know who they cover? They cover it, but they don't show the highlights, which is frustrating. Mm -hmm. uh, I think because Sky B has the rights here. Yeah, it's a TV. Uh, they right don't there. show the highlights. It's a bummer because in America, you can show the highlights if you're reporting on a game, I think, if it's newsworthy, right? I think that's one of our rules um, for the F, uh, FCC. But um, no, the only team they cover, almost like a national team, is Manchester United, mm. which 
is beyond me. Like, you know, Manchester United hasn't been good for a long time. Yeah, it's just a flagship it. club, though, right? It's just, right. It's just known as the club that you follow. And, and now the, the world's gotten smaller over the last 10, 15 years, so, so there's more teams that you can follow. But back in the day, you, you had that one or two flagship teams, and you followed them. That's all you knew. So, yeah, I mean, look, they've been a soap opera of sorts. That uh, They're yeah. literally sitting 20th out of 20 teams. I know it's only oh two games God. in, but they haven't scored a goal, minus five goal differential. They're in 20th place. When was the last time we said something like that? Never. I, I don't know ever in the Premier League as it is in its current, you know, uh, formation. It's it's They've never been at the bottom of the table. Yeah. Um, and especially with the way the Prem's set up, you know, I don't think we'd understand that with uh, in our sports where we try to keep some sort of parity. Yeah. Here, the, the top six really have all the money. They, they, they take all the best players from the lower teams, you know, and they just, you know, you got like Jesse Marsh with Leeds picking a couple of American guys. I'm following them now, but their battle is to get to the middle of the table. And it's a huge win. Yeah. Well, I think with United, I mean, it's not just losing, you know, 4-0 like they did the other day, but they, they concede all four goals in the first 30, 35 minutes. And so right. like that is even beyond the line of what their standards are. And so, you know, my question is like all these coaches have now come through and I, I understand, you know, Sir Alex is, is an icon and replacing him. Yeah. Is difficult. But this current crop of players under several coaches now, has not been able to get any kind of successful traction. At what point do you just kind of change the entire roster with drastic moves just for the sake of creating a different look? Because it seems like the chemistry amongst the players isn't quite working. Having said that, you got to give the new coach a little bit more time, of course. Absolutely. Four nil after 35 minutes, that doesn't seem quite right. Yeah, but you know, as a coach, look, you, you tell your players, you give up a goal early, the whole game, the, the, the whole strategy changes. Everything goes out the window because now you're playing catch up. Um, even if you're a better team, you're pushing up, you're going to get countered on. Um, it's a nightmare for a coach to come out that early and, and give up a goal like that. And, you know, even though if you could look at like a, in a college re recruiting situation, I used to say to guys who would ask me, you know, for advice, I'd say, look, go, go to the coach who wants you. Um, he, he sees what you have and he's brought you in. You're one of his guys. He's going to try to make you play his way. Like you mentioned with Manchester United, that's like a jalopy just it's put together like with by four different coaches just you know putting pieces in together and and I, I think Manchester United is like in America is like the New York Yankees where it's yeah everybody watches what happens to them not everybody pulls for them for sure but you know the Yankees had their best success when they had all those farm players that they brought up Posada and uh, you know and um uh Jeter a, yeah Jeter you know so it's sort of like um you know and then to be asking for the owners to change is, is absurd. Maybe the front office should, should change, Chris. I don't, I don't know, you know, but this coach obviously coming in, trying to establish, look, you're a new coach coming into a new program. You're trying to put your infrastructure together, trying to, trying to put your style and how we play at MLU, LMU now, this is how we play and they have to learn it. And we looked at all these other players that have come into the premier league, big time players who have come in and they don't fit in to a style or De Bruyne at Chelsea. I mean, what a mistake that was. Or, or Martial at, at Man United. He's a great player, but does, does he fit in the style? So, man, uh, this is why I'm not a coach, man. I'm telling you because no, it's it, hard. It's so frustrating. Yeah. yeah. Right. You pass on players. De Bruyne was passed on a bunch of times. Mo Salah had a hard time getting traction with his career. He was passed on a few times. And sometimes it takes a certain coach and a certain setup for a player to, to do well. 
And then you have the micro markets, you know, like Man United is in a market with Manchester City. And after decades of being the big brother, if you will, they're now completely in the opposite situation where City is the starship and, and now they've fallen down into the bottom ranks. And so within the market of Manchester, that's got to be an amazing dynamic as well. Do you know what? You just brought up a point that I, I wonder, you know, De Bruyne and Salah both left Chelsea. Chelsea had an abundance of players. No one ever feels comfortable. No one ever gets in their groove. And look, I've been playing for teams where the coach dug me and you're, you're a swinging dick. You, you're, you're playing large. You can make a mistake. You're not beating yourself up. When you're just trying to struggle to get onto the pitch, um, everything feels like a, a, an enormous decision, every ball that you're checking back to. So there's Salah and De Bruyne leave Chelsea because there's so many players there. I kind of think that's what's happening with Manchester United right now. There's so many guys out there. They don't know what style to play. Yeah, I mean, if different coaches come in and do different things, it's always like starting from scratch again. So, you know, like if it's NFL language, you talk about a, you know, a new offensive coordinator coming in, you have to learn the new offense, right? So it's not, right. not that much different, you know, in our sport, obviously. With our sport, there's some universal ideas on how to move and play and coordinate and collaborate and combine, right. of course, and, and, and a well-coached, player will know that coming to the table, but it all comes down to the details of what certain coaches want. That takes a little time typically, but if you keep reinventing the wheel every two years or year and a half, it becomes difficult. However, Chelsea hasn't had that problem. They change coaches all the time and, but they yeah. have a, they have a talented roster and they're able to still stay at the top of the league. And when they let Salah go and they let De Bruyne go, it's the first team was doing great. It just was hard to get into the first team at that time, right. but man United's got it all wrong somehow, somehow. Well, you know, seeing the, the coaches' interviews after, uh, I'm, I'm digging Jesse Marsh. I mean, that that's a dude I wouldn't want to mess with him on the pitch or off now. It's sort of uh, he's in control, and he's the type of coach who's like, he's not making any excuses. It's like it's it's uh, we're in this together, and if we fail, it's my fault uh, kind of thing, you know. And I think they got off to a good start from what I gathered in the news here. Um, but they gave up, they gave up a couple of points that they could have had apparently, huh? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the takeaway lesson from Bob Bradley's experience at Swansea was make sure when you do get the opportunity that you have people in your circle who are there as well. And so it's no accident that he's gone aggressively after, you know, some players that he knows well, you know, whether it's Tyler Adams, Aronson, all these guys, guys that he knows uh, are familiar with his style and will have his back mm -hmm. in the locker room. Bob yeah. didn't have anyone to have his back. He didn't have an assistant coach. He have anyone. Um, if I, if I'm correct, I may not be, but I think Pierre, the uh, the fitness coach, is now uh, also used to be with the U.S. national team. He used to be in Serrano. He's worked with Bob Bradley many times, but I think he's actually at Leeds now too with Jesse. So now he's got yet another guy on the staff and guys in the locker room, guys that he knows. And look, that helps create a team dynamic, and they they each cover each other's back as they build because. Uh, Jesse has a smaller margin. He's an American coach in the Premier League, and and, and yeah. that, that hurt Bob. And now he's Jesse's made some adjustments to try to put himself in a good spot. Well, nobody had Bob's back. Nobody had Bob's front, for God's sakes, in that situation. He just went there, and it was just it was just meat to the lions. My God! And Swansea, I think that's an American owner, was sort of flirting with what Leeds is doing now, and. He didn't flirt for very very long. He got shut down by the girl at the dance at the first ask, and he uh, and he pulled the plug right away. That's, yeah, but that's... not not the owner. There's directors there that are going to make that call. And when you bring in a coach, you need to give him a fair chance. Now, yeah. I think I've said this before. Bob never got a preseason year. He got a transfer window. Mm -hmm. He had a couple international dates. He really was hard to get any kind of traction with his style. Yeah. 
And then, and then when, when, when the kitchen got hot, then they, they buckled and let him go and never really gave him a fair chance with, with Jesse, you know, he's now got a preseason under his belt. He's brought in a few players. So he should hopefully have the foundation to do a little bit better. I, I bit my tongue because I was walking by the television and I saw they were up two nil on Southampton. And I said to one of my kids, I just, he looks like he's got another three points. And I came back 10 minutes later and it's two, two. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, yeah. but it's just a sign of how competitive the premier league is. And, and it's this game we love. And I think as far as uh, Jesse Marsh, I mean, with Bob Bradley, it's paying it forward. So here's a guy um, on the backs of, of what's come before you, which is, which is what life's all about. So I was very surprised. Another thing that was in the news here, like I've said, they've just picked certain items from the Prem weekend that I could tell was fabulous. Um, Manchester United was one of them. The other one was the Conte uh, Tuchel dust up at the end. Mm -hmm. What happened? Talk to me like I'm the third grader. That's about the level I'm at anyway. (laughs) I mean, you know, the game is a big game between two teams that are hoping to be in the, in the top four. And, you know, and I heard it was kick-ass. Like it was a great game. Yeah. Great game. Tactically a great game as well. And then you have Tottenham, you know, Tottenham, you know, I, I watch out for Tottenham. You know, I, I wasn't surprised at all that they got into the top, uh, made a push for the top last season. Conte is that good. Um, and now he has a preseason. So now they're going to be even better. Um, so they absolutely went toe to toe with Chelsea in many ways. They're down to one late in the game. And you, you always think to yourself, you know, what would a great team do right now? And a great team would find a way to tie the game, right? Like one of Sir Alex's teams back in the day, they would tie. Yeah. Could, maybe they can't win today, but they're going to die trying and they're going to try to get a tie. And sure enough, Harry Kane, 96 minute, gets a goal. They tie a 2-2. So it's a feisty oh, affair. Oh my God. And then yeah. as the exchange comes with the handshake, you know, uh, the, the Tuchel takes exception to how Conte shakes his hand in the sense that it was more of a flyby, I guess you could say. And Tuchel just doesn't let go of his hand and kind of demands that, you know, that you look me in the eye when you shake my hand, which is a little uh, dramatic. I don't know. Uh, I kind of agree. I hope he didn't give him the, the Italian wet fish handshake. Go ahead. Uh, no, that's not Conte's style. Conte's been around. You know, he's a pro. So, you know, I, I think sometimes in the heat of the moment, you can blow someone off with a handshake, but you, you also have to know to let that go. So I thought Tuchel's response was a little over the top, in my opinion. Um, but I understand what you're saying. Like, yeah, you want to look someone in the eye, but, you know, come on. We, we always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt in the heat of the moment. And Tuchel didn't. And there was two red cards, one for each guy. Really? Well, here's the thing. I think I, there has been a times I've not shaken a person's hand, but I've said, I've gotten their face and said, look, you, you came in high, you're off the ball, whatever it was. Um, if you're going to shake someone's hand, don't give me the limp fish, you know, give give somebody a firm handshake, especially a contentious game like that. And Tuchel's the one who kind of came up short. I think it seems like Chelsea had outplayed them a little bit, apparently, but yeah, I, I think if the, if you're in a calm situation, you know, you shake hands with someone, you look each other in the eye, right? That's the standard right. handshake. But when you're in the heat of the moment, and sometimes you're going down a line of three, four handshakes in a row, sometimes you take your eye off of someone a little early. You know what I mean? Right. It doesn't have to be a personal thing, like, you know, and, and know. So in the moment, they're both kind of heated and there's he took exception to it. And so I like, I don't know, I, maybe I'm biased because I really like Conte, but I'm like, you know, he, the guy's just shaking your hand and moving on. And oh God, what, what do you need? Three seconds of, a, of an eye gaze? Is it growing up? Growing up, if I, if I if I didn't hold one of my uncle's hands and shake him and look him in the eye, I was getting thrown out the back door. Look me in the eye. Look me in the eye when you're shaking my hand there, bastard boy. I, I get it, but it's different when you're doing a flyby after a game. Yeah. It's a good game. And there's three, four people behind the head coach you're going to shake hands with too. So you right. turn your eyes to the next, to the next, to the next. 
So come on. It's a little All right, more, more importantly, and especially in that particular situation, I said they both get red carded. But uh, what what's what's with Pulisic? What's what's going to happen here? What, what do you? Yeah, get? look, he's not getting into the games and uh, it's a World Cup season. He wants to be playing. I'm a little surprised that they haven't made a decision on him a little earlier. Like if they're going to move him, why not move him yeah. uh, earlier in the summer? And maybe as the intention is they don't want to. You know, Chelsea doesn't really care about his World Cup ambitions. You know, I mean, you know, of course they do. They're going to say that they do, but they need to do what's best to get them points on the next week. And coaches are going to make the managers going to make decisions based on that, not on, you know, ramping Pulisic up for the World Cup. That's not his job. So we're facing a little, you know, we'll see how it goes. But, you know, there are a couple of tough matches. Maybe he doesn't get the Tottenham match, but maybe as the schedule falls into favor a little bit with some quote unquote easier matches. He gets a few more games and the story goes away. But if this yeah. continues on for four or five weeks and he doesn't play, it's a concern for the U S national team. Yeah. And I mean, look, this has happened the last two seasons, right? I mean, Tuchel doesn't just quite put him in there when he does though. He's impactful. He gets some goals. It's like, he has to earn his way back in every game. You know, it's like, Oh, what have you done lately for me thing? Hey, maybe he'll go leave. The game. That's what the level yeah. is. That's the game. Yeah, maybe he'll go on loan or maybe he'll get sold. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I looked, watched uh, Stu Holden talking a little bit about Zach. Zach um, I was going to say Zach Efron. I thought you were going to say <laughs> Zach Efron, actually. <laughs> oh, I got a movie coming out with him uh, September 25th, so check it out. But uh, Zach, the keeper, he's, he's where is he now? Um, just drawing a blank. Uh, I think yeah, Keller was there at one time. Me too. Casey I'm Keller forgetting the name. Is, is it on loan? Is it Middlesbrough? I think, I think uh, Fulham or Middlesbrough. Yeah. So you know, look, I don't have a television anymore. Um, yeah. But apparently, Stu said he, he didn't look sharp. He did not look sharp. And I tell you, a keeper, especially Pulisic, you know, if he's coming in the 70th minute, 75th minute, getting some a little bit of a run, it can keep him fresh enough for the World Cup. Might even be a good situation in, in that. But a keeper's got to be hot. It's like a, like a goaltender in yeah. hockey, man. You got to yeah. have a hot keeper. And um, we don't have one right now. Uh, no, look, when, when Zach Steffen makes the mistake, you know, in the cup in the spring for City, mm -hmm. um, there's a, a real sense, right? Right in that moment, exactly where you yeah. say to yourself, he's not going to be on the City roster next year. And so now, <clears throat> how far down does he go? Which team does he go to? How much playing time does he get? How sharp is he? You know, I, I'm not sure he's in the pole position for the number one for the national team anymore, but no. we'll see. we still got a little bit more time. But Who's your number one? Eh, probably Matt Turner. Yeah, I think yeah, there's a, there's a too. stability to him in, in the sense that he he does what you're supposed to do. He avoids some bigger mistakes, and that might be the best option for the U.S. national team in this World Cup. Here's something interesting. Our crack uh, media team, Octane Media, just uh, came up with a little, little it, live in, in the moment. Pulisic is linked with a loan, potential loan move to Na Newcastle United. What do you yeah, think that, of that? That would make some team, uh, that would make some sense. It's a team that's yeah. you know, going to be fighting to stay up. He could probably play more. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing where you, when you go on a loan, you don't want to drop down too far. You too much, still, yeah. Yeah, you want to still be competitive. But I think that could be potentially a good fit. And they play, they, they play a, a different style too. Um, very different, but Hey, look, the kid wants to play, the kid wants to play. So uh, hopefully, and Chelsea's owned by Americans now, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think uh, much, yeah. San Diego, right? A guy from San Diego. Yeah, like, so we should pressure the American owner to say, hey, he should have get off the pot with Pulisic. We need him for the World Cup, man. He needs yeah. some playing time. Well, the manager's going to do what he wants to do. But, you know, you, you've, it's so competitive, you know. And so you, even Liverpool, they've dropped some points now. You know, Nunez takes a red card. They now have to fight back just to get a tie against Palace. And now they've fallen two more points yet again against behind City. That, that happened last year, too. And, you know, I watched... Uh, some video, um, I think it was on Soccer America, about Nunez off the ball, the stuff that, the chippy stuff that he was getting kicked and hit and pushed pretty much mm. every time. Um, but you're not playing Sunday League, man. The one thing I noticed, the higher level you play, you can't you can't take part in that chippy shit. Like, sometimes when I watch a college game, Chris, like a D1 college game, the guys are such great athletes and so, like, kind of macho that they, they get kicked and they turn, they square off. It's like, there's a ref out there, man, and you're going to, you know, you know, you penalize your players that way when you sort of act like that machismo thing. And Nunes just kind of had enough, I guess. I didn't think that headbutt was a real headbutt. He moved in fast. And, but even, yeah, uh, you know, it's like what you, what we would say to players is like, you know, anytime you put the whistle in the referee's mouth, you're in jeopardy of getting, you know, getting rung up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you put your, if you play on that edge, which is tricky, right? Cause the great ones, play with a feistiness and, and an anger, you know? And so yeah. you, you, you have to kind of tap into that, but you can't be undisciplined about it because if you are and you lash out, especially if you retaliate, you're going to, you're going to be in a bad spot. Well, that guy acted like he got shot out of a cannon. <laughs> just <laughs> like flip, flat fell back. It was almost like an Andy Cap cartoon, just a big circle of dust and hands and things. <laughs> it was just hysterical. Hey, so um, I, I mentioned him earlier in the show, our buddy, uh, Mike Noonan, uh, you, you're the defending, you know, division two national champion in men's soccer. Uh, he's the division one preseason poll comes out. They're number one. Kind of knowing Mike a little bit, I think sometimes that's a tough position to be in because everybody's gunning for you when you're number one. It's nice to kind of, you know, like the horse slate in the race coming up the side, the old Dave Waddle. You don't know who that is. You're too young, but yeah, that big kick at the end. Um, what do you think at preseason polls? Uh, I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean much for the most part. It's a, it's a regurgitation of how teams finished at the end of the fall. Right. So they just, you know, he's won because they were one last year and they finished number one last year. But an experienced coach knows how to uh, downplay that, not to focus on those kinds of things. I mean, if, if you're going to say that it puts, you know, a target on you or anything like that, well, anyone who's in the top 20 is going to get targeted as, hey, this is a big chance. But as a coach, you're just focused on the process of trying to build a good team. And I'm sure, uh, you know, a, a good coach like, like Nunes will will have that kind of dialogue with his group about forget the rankings. Let's just figure out a way to play this year that works and try to build into it. Because you're right, it's about where you are at the end, not the beginning. So you know, preseason games when I was in college were really kind of odd affairs. They were almost social affairs. Um, you kind of throw out your starting eleven there for a little bit. You kind of wouldn't even get used to each other, and then you'd be pulled for certain guys that are you know on the cusp. Um, and it, it just seemed like. It seems like the American sports system is not set up to for soccer, period, I think. Um, but preseason games, I, I don't even know. Like, do you do you value them at all? Do you think they're worthwhile? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the more I'm in it, the more I, I don't like it. You know, it's uh, mm -hmm. you know, I think for other sports, it's probably, you know, for the most part, fine. The, the length of their preseason and the ramp up time. But the way it is right now, we, we get whatever two max three weeks to get yourself ready for for a full-blown match 
and yeah. you only get one or two, you know, exhibitions to kind of play with things. And so you're juggling way too many things. So a coach is compromised. You're trying to get certain players to play together. You're trying to mm -hmm. perhaps try to find different ways of playing tactically. You're, you're looking at new players that you haven't had before in your team. You're trying to build fitness for, for match minutes. You, you can't do all of that in 90 minutes, you know? And so it's right out of the gate, you're compromised. And, and I, I've grown to resent it because, you know, it puts a coach in a really difficult position. It puts the players in a really difficult position. And I'm coming out of this model where, you know, I've worked in division one and division two, and I don't think either one has it right. Like division one, you get 20 games max. And if yeah. you want, let's say two exhibitions, you can, but then you have to have eight, you can only allow 18. You're so like, kidding me. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Uh, the good side is that, you know, anyone can play in those scrimmages and it doesn't trigger their eligibility or a season used. Okay. Okay, fine. All right. But now you go to the division two model they'll give you the three free exhibitions. So you're like, okay, that gives me a little bit more to work with, but mm -hmm. then they have a rule that says, but you know, if, uh, if you're a sophomore and you play in one of those games that counts toward your eligibility, you've now burned a season. So they're not really free scrimmages. So right. in my opinion, no one's really got it right. And, and is not enough time to build a team correctly. So now where coaches feel compromised and where you're hearing all these things about 21st century model, I know the women's game yeah. as well is talking about trying to create a little bit more of a, uh, of a July time period. So you have more ramp up time. So you can cover more topics without phys physically putting players into the red zone. Right. Because in order to cover a lot of topics in two, three weeks, you got to keep them on the field. And at a certain point you, you start to, to, you know, jeopardize uh, muscle injuries and all these kinds of things. And are you, are you one of those guys that have short practices? You know, I know like arena, that was his big thing. You're in and out there. Yeah. Of... Yeah. I mean, we have a two hour block that we always kind of, you know, give, you know, give ourselves for training, but we're typically doing stuff in, you know, 75 minutes, 90 minutes. I, I does everyone's different, but for yeah. me, it's more about fast paced practices that are just highly organized and at a really fast rate right. out, um, <laughs> as opposed to long drawn out practice. And that just goes back to like, when I was a player, like just, I hated standing around and doing yeah, three hours. I used to hate that in the wind in Massachusetts. Um, let me ask you this though, about setting up preseason games. Cause we talk about the national team, how they try to set up against a team that will play like Wales or that will play like, you know, who they're going to play. It, it, what I, my experience was the two coaches knew each other and they were, we were hanging out and they would just, they, you know, that's where they'd set it up. I know yeah. you, you, me. Yeah, yeah. No, that's still together. pretty much it. Like, Is you know, it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you're not looking to spend a lot of money on an exhibition. So you're trying to play someone who's relatively local. It would be great if it fit the, you know, a, a certain style of a, of a team that you might play, but Normally you can't get that cute because, you, you know, World Cup, okay, you have three teams in your group and you can be really selective about how you prepare for those three teams. Right. And when you have to prepare for 18, 19 teams, you know, you're just playing a local game and trying to get something under your belt. Don't know how you do it, brother, uh, but you do. Well, so, uh, all right. So you start your season starts, what, the end of the month, right? Yeah, we're all division one starts on August 18th on the women's side, at least. And Unbelievable. Uh, Games come up pretty fast and furiously right out of the gate. All right. Well, I'm here till uh, I leave the 30th. I'll be back in America um, and I'll be able to watch my soccer. The one good <laughs> thing about Peacock uh, is, that, you know, the NBC thing is I can watch all the Premier League games uh, and try to catch up. Like, not like I was, I was already watching too much soccer as it was. I'm going to have to play catch up. It's like studying for Spanish in college. Uh, try to learn how to speak Spanish in, in one night. Yeah, let's yeah. just memorize this. Uh, have a couple cups of coffee. Hola, hola. You know. <laughs> what um, is your BBC thing? Is that a Zoom or you're actually going somewhere? Physically? No, I'm going to uh, 
one of the squares here, something square, I think like Roberts Square or something up Nickel Street or something. Anyway, um, it's a big setup um, and apparently it's a big deal. So it's like a live radio broadcast. So here's the thing. The show starts at 12.05 and it's about 20 minutes away from my theater. And at one o'clock, uh -oh. I'm on stage. Yeah, uh -oh. so they're trying to figure out how to get me from the... Well, Daniel Day-Lewis would have a limousine to take Absolutely. you Absolutely. I yeah. think I might have a scooter. That might be yeah. what I've got. The little scooter. Yeah, helicopter. Or something. Over there. I'll be running. I mean, I'm going to show up because I show up every day at the theater sweating because it's all hills. I swear to God, it's up hills both ways. It's like my father going to school. <laughs> it's just it's ridiculous. I'm like, I walked uphill to get here. Why am I walking uphill to go home? doesn't make any sense. Defies logic. Hey, do you ever just keep a straight face and walk up to people and say, hey, do you see, ever see Braveheart and just see what their reaction is? And <laughs> Oh, hey, Valentine. <laughs> Wow, the Scots, they're our Celtic cousins, man. The Irish hey, Celtic do we get Celtic, to see so. your BBC performance? Is there a way to do that? I don't know. I'll find out. I think it's, Let us I think know if there's a way. I think it's live streamed. So it's called, uh, again, it's called Off the Ball, which was, uh, which was already taken. That's why I got over the ball, um, which so, under the ball just didn't seem, uh, it was too dark. It's a different uh, show. It was too dark. Yeah, just dark down there. So um, <laughs> let's end it on a testicle joke, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey man so uh yeah i'll let you know hopefully we can maybe get it uh, you can download it i don't know if they have apple podcasts here uh, like you can get over the ball everybody um under the ball and off the ball this all the balls are taken <laughs> as a wise man once said uh all right everybody that's all the time we have today on over the ball for chris shamides i'm kevin flynn and we'll talk to you next time on otb Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247.